Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is the area manager and writer for Transfermarkt, Manuel Vaith. Manu, how you doing? I'm doing well, Bryce. How's it going with you? I must say, not too bad. That was a bit of a turbulent uh, Saturday of football that we had. The final match day of the Bundesliga. Uh, yeah, Kuhn decided to leave it rather late, didn't they? But thankfully, they, they weren't the worst side uh, playing in that day. And, well, I suppose the league doesn't lie after the 34 games. And they, they managed to just about survive for now. But yes, let's get uh, into the match day, Manu. Uh, and so yesterday you met up with Chris, virtually, obviously, um, to talk about match day 34 and all the goings on. There was still quite a lot to go on, even though the title had been wrapped up. Yeah, I suppose um, I'm, I'm almost glad that I'm not talking about it because I was exhausted that evening. We'll then come back after that. We'll talk Sunday's uh, matches with the Zwei Bundesliga. So here it is where Chris and Manu met up. Wow, joining me now is Chris. Chris, it's been way too long. Um, first of all, excited to have you on the show. But how's it going? Yeah, very good, thank you. It's nice to be back um, again. Uh, yeah, I've been mega busy with um, the Amazon stuff, which has now unfortunately come to an end because the end of the season and the rights have, have moved on. So we'll see if that comes back in any sort of form next season. But yeah, it's nice to be back. Oh, it's definitely nice to have you on. I mean, we've been doing this for so long now, Chris. Um, this is this is our fifth May, and this is the day. Yeah, the, the the title was decided, but there was so much on the line today, and so much to be decided, and so much decided on the very last minute, including the goal that you just heard going into this. Robert Lewandowski. Should we start with him, Chris? I mean, I, I was kind of on the fence a little bit. About him breaking the record, I thought, okay, maybe there's a beauty in both Lewandowski and Gerd Müller having 40. But you made a really good point saying, well, records are there to be broken and it's nice that he got it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of people breaking records. I think, you know, they stand the test of time and this one has obviously stood the test of time for so, so long. Um, you know, it was interesting for me to listen back last week when I was editing and, and to listen back after both you and Derek Ray, who we had on, of course, for the 200th episode. Um, thought they'd never see it broken and it is such a high amount I mean we've seen the 30 goal mark broken before um there's a brilliant time when Lewandowski was chasing Abamianga at Dortmund for it and they were both vying for that top goal scorer at the end of the season but 40 goals is is magnificent 41 and this is over a 34 match day and we have to remember that it's not even been 34 match days 
um, for Lewandowski because he's been injured for five. He's not been available for five of them, so he's done it in even less. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's staggering. I thought he would have broke the record myself. I thought he would have equaled the record when they played Wolfsburg, um, but obviously he was injured for that. Had he not been injured, I genuinely think he could have got 45. And 45 would have would have had a nice ring. 41 it is. Um, it's it's a magnificent record. It's wonderful that he got it pretty much with the last kick of the game. Um, I think there was, we've sort of felt maybe it's never going to happen. And I, I just loved the reaction by everyone on the field. And he kind of couldn't believe it in the end when you, when you saw saw his post-game reactions and uh, hands over his face and just unbelievable, unbelievable emotional reactions by all his teammates. And of course, the many players that are going to leave by him, you know, Gabi Martinez, Jerome Boateng, David Alaba and so on. Um, don't think Robert Lewandowski is going anywhere. I think uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge put an end to that rumor. But it's just such a wonderful emotional, was such a wonderful emotional thing all around. And Chris, there were many wonderful emotional things all around today. I mean, we watched all sorts of games simultaneously because everything was going on at the same time. And the one game that I had on my big screen was Union Berlin against Leipzig with fans. And boy, Max Kruse getting that last minute winner. That's it's just fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, it was a tremendous game that one. Uh, like you, I had the big screen on. Um, I've got my I've got my father in law here this weekend, so he was treated to um, the Sky Sport conference um, in complete German. Of course, I think he was still looking for a house. I think he had a, a watching eye on it. But yeah, it was on in it was on in our house, and it was flipping in between. And and once um, Union went one 0 behind to that to that Leipzig opener from Clivert, I. I thought maybe the the time had gone for them but for um, Max Kruser who has been Mr Union Berlin especially at the start of the season he epitomized everything about the club he seemed to drive them on and I don't know how he scores these goals I've not been on clubhouse for months Manu but you know Max Kruser was regularly on it at three in the morning in all the strangest chat rooms you'll ever see um, but he can obviously burn the candle both ends he scored this tremendous goal. Great for him because he's had a bit of an iffy season with injury. Um, Performance-wise, I think he's been spot on. But yeah, injury-wise, not good for him. And that goal is monumental because it drags Union Berlin into the Europa Conference League, which has been sort of poo-pooed on by a lot of people, especially in the UK, um, more specifically England. I think there's a bit of a an elitist attitude um, which is unsurprising, I think. Um, you know, didn't shock me. I think people think if you're not in the Champions League, it's not worth it. I'm a big fan of the Europa League, um, and I'm going to be a big fan of the Conference League because it's designed for teams like Union Berlin, um, who have had a great season, to just have a little taste of European competition and to see where it goes for them. And like, hopefully, we'll get back to a little bit of normal next year, and fans can travel around Europe again, going to different grounds and. Those Union fans that witnessed it today, um, I think there was just one stand open, the far side. Uh, they will enjoy going all around Europe and they will be a joy to wherever they go. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I'm looking forward to seeing it played. I do think it was a, a chance for UEFA to create something special, maybe just a, a one-off knockoff, t- or sorry, a round of complete knockoff, no league involved in it. Um, but it is what it is, but it's a real opportunity for some of the smaller sides in Europe who routinely miss out on the competition to get in it. 
Yeah, and I think it's actually going to be a. I was not in favor for it in the beginning, but I think your tweet about saying, look, it is actually a wonderful opportunity for some of the smaller teams kind of maybe turned it around for me. And I'm actually with you because when you look at Union Berlin as a club, you know, it's a growing club. This is the second year in the Bundesliga. They're now qualified for Europe. And from so many times we've seen what additional games in the Europa League could mean for a club of Union Berlin stature. It usually is not a good thing, right? Those teams usually struggle then in the Bundesliga. But I feel when, when you look at it, um, you know, nations ranked one to five will have one team um, directly in, right? Uh, not directly in, but into the playoff stage. And then you have um, countries like nations ranked 6 to 15 will have two. And then 16 to 50 will have three. And 51 to 55 will have two teams. So a lot of smaller smaller country teams, uh, depending, of course, who also joins in from the Europa League playoffs. Like the, the losers of the Europa League playoffs also go into this competition, right? So this, this can, of course, change. But I feel like you get the sort of level of opponents, if you own your own Berlin, that make it exciting because you get to travel around Europe. But it doesn't put a strain on you the same way than maybe the Europa League does with the level of opponents that you have there, that it also ruins your following year. And I think for that, it's actually a wonderful thing. And just to your point, I mean, we had fans in this game and they celebrated this, like Union Berlin reached the Champions League. You know, it's it means something for these fans and it means something for a club where fans literally gave their blood to to, to rescue this club, right? And yeah, I think it's wonderful, Chris. I, th- I think this competition will mean mean a ton for the fans. And uh, how wonderful was it to have fans back, hey? I mean, just to see that emotion. So great. Everybody's seen um, just how football is affected by a lack of fans. Okay, we've had the sound effects, but it's not the same. It's some guy just pressing an ooh or a ah or a shout when a ball goes in or doesn't go in. Um, it's completely different today. You know, you've got the the lifeblood of the game back. Um, I, I truly think that there's nothing better. You and I have done it, packed out stadiums on on all sorts of nights. Relegation playoffs, you know, we've got those games coming off. That's a tremendous night for supporters. I know they hate it. It's 180 minutes of hell, but they live every minute of that. Um, and that's the sort of thing you want to see. You want to see fans in the stadium. I can't wait, hopefully, to be back in a ground next year with yourself, um, somewhere like Dortmund or Union, or you know, even some of the sides that have gone down, and we'll we'll talk about them later. But yeah, to have the fans back, it's all what football's about for me. Otherwise, it's just and I'm not knocking this, but it's just the same as watching an academy game or you know watching a training game behind closed doors. Yeah, I I, I feel we're actually at the point now where um you see this this slow reopening of stadiums. It's it's really interesting being over here in North America, Chris and. Um, the United States have sort of started a live laboratory on what it's like to have fans back in stadiums and um, so far so good. So I, I think we're getting to points now where vaccination rates, of course, they have to be higher. Everyone should get vaccinated. On that news, I am actually getting vaccinated today. So that's fantastic. Really looking forward to it. It feels like a birthday. And I feel like anyone who listens, if you want to have fans back in stands, you need to go out and get vaccinated. I mean, first of all, but we're getting there. It's so close. It feels so close. And it just gives gives these games something extra. Um, speaking of emotions, I mean, this Union Berlin result was emotional. They had to win this game because in the parallel game, um, 
Gladbach against Werder Bremen, which I also had on the screen. And I couldn't really believe what was happening there. Gladbach absolutely smashing Werder Bremen, sending Werder into the relegation. And I think we need to talk. We need to go straight from the Conference League to the relegation battle because so much drama in that as well. But let's start with that game, Chris, because the way I looked at it, Thomas Schaaf installed last week. We talked about it on last week's podcast. Sort of the last shot um, in Werder Bremen's when we're in, like, last shot for Werder Bremen to stay in the league. And there was a picture that went made its rounds of um, Thomas Schaaf on the tactics board, tweeted it out earlier today, and all the all the players kind of looking puzzled at, at him. And there's all sorts of jokes that he's brought back the early 2000 tactics and so on. And it did not work. I mean, they were an utter disaster today, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And it's epitomized not their whole season because they have picked up occasional good results. Um, I remember they beat... Hertha Berlin 4-1, um, way, way back at the start of this calendar year. But they've picked up, Manu, two points from the last 33 available. And um, that is relegation form. They last won a game against Frankfurt, who have had a, an up-and-down season themselves, missed out on Champions League. But I think we can say that a 2-1 victory against Eintracht Frankfurt is a good result. After that, they drew against Cologne, went on a horrendous run of form, not just getting beat, but getting spanked. 3-1 by Bayern, 4-1 by Leipzig, 4-1 by Dortmund, 3-1 by Union Berlin, 4-2 today. Um, they've just been dreadful. They, As I say, in those, in those games since they won, which was on match day 23, since then they've picked up a draw against FC Kern, who, who have been dreadful and have managed to escape. The, the automatic relegation, and they picked up a point against Bayer Leverkusen, who have not been particularly good under Hannes Wolf anyway. So, yeah, they have been awful. Um, I was surprised, I don't know if you were, Manu, that they stuck with Florian Kofel. I know he's a Bremen guy through and through, and he probably had a lot of credit in the bank, but I didn't really see much in the back end of last season that made me think they could have improved they didn't really start this season in, in the best of form, had an awful um, opening day defeat and then won a couple. But it was pretty much the same sort of boring football again after that, went on a run of draws. And then they started to get tanked 5-3 by Wolfsburg on match day nine. Um, not good. And, and, and it's been, the writing's been on the wall. So for that second to come on match day 33, I think was too little too late. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I was asked that question today about Werder Bremen and why the club has stuck not just to him, but also Marco Bode and um, Baumann, right, who, who were on the board of the club. And I think, and I'm probably going to sound like a broken record to you, if you listen to this podcast for the first time, then this might be new. But um, those who have listened for a while, Werder Bremen have been a candidate for me for a while now um, to go down because... They have, they have failed to renew within for so many years now this whole idea of the Werder Familie, right? That you kind of recruit from within. You bring up people from within the club, whether it was Thorsten Frings um, or Florian Kofeld or Marco Bode or <laughs> Baumann or, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Schaaf as well. Um, these are all people that have worked at this club for many club for many, many years. And I just sense that what 
where the Bremen lag is someone coming in from the outside and cleaning house, right? To clean out the catacombs at the Weser Stadion and get rid of all the skeletons and just restructure this club. Because I think, and this is a huge difference between, for me, between Werder Bremen and Schalke, right? Where Schalke is an absolute disaster and they're going to have a hard time coming back back anytime soon. I feel like with Werder Bremen, the bones are at least still good. You know, there is there is something there to salvage. Chris, I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like there is enough in that squad where you can say, okay, well, they're probably going to lose a few players. Like Milo Rashika, he's going to be gone. I, I reckon Josh, Josh Sargent is going to be gone too before anyone listening in the United States. Yeah, I, I reckon they will have to sell him because they will need some money. But there seems to be something there that you you is useful and you bring in the right players. I think they're going to go straight back up, right? It's not not quite as big of a basket case as Schalke. But um, I think they need to maybe just also clear out the boardroom, clear out all the coaching staff and just bring in some meaningful change to Werder Bremen. Yeah, I think if you compare them to, to Schalke, I think they're probably in a better place. Um, I'm interested to see if you really believe this man or if you're just being really nice because your big, big boss is a massive Werder Bremen fan. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe wait a little bit on that. But um, yeah, they're, I think they are... They have the structure, I think, within, and they, although they've had financial troubles themselves, at times they've been nowhere near as close to the wall as they have, as Schalke have. I know they did go close when football stopped. They were one of the the couple of sides that went really close with Schalke, but Schalke are a mess, top to bottom. I think Werder Bremen can um, salvage the situation, but they're going to have to maybe try and keep a couple of the players that can get them back out of the second league because, I mean, their neighbours, Hamburg, have tried so hard and have failed again this current season. You know, they don't, Werder Bremen don't want to be on their fourth season trying to get out of the second league. It becomes almost an impossible task in itself because it's such a competitive division. Anyone that's listened to this podcast for a while will know that I think you, me and Bryce all agree that there are between 25 to 30 good teams in Germany. But unfortunately, you know, the top two leagues only carry places for 18. So there's normally about 10 teams that miss out on that, that could play in the top of the league or the, or the other leagues if they if they wanted to, or like the, the top flight league. But yeah, I can see some players going. Um, Rashika probably should have gone last season. I think it's players of that mentality that maybe found themselves in a situation they didn't want to be in this season. Uh, under Florian Kofeld, I felt their on-the-pitch tactics looked all over the place, like they were 11 players playing independently, um, which may explain why they all looked a bit confused if they saw some actual tactics from Schaff on a tactician's board. And that, you know, we wait to see on who's going to take them forward again on that. But yeah, it's it's a tough one for Verda. And if they're not, they're not 100% eye on the ball, they could find themselves locked in that division and they would be a big side, another big side locked in that division. And unfortunately German football is littered with big sides locked in divisions. They shouldn't be. You're a 1860 Munich fan. They're locked in a division. They probably shouldn't be Kaiserslautern. Some of the old um, GDR sides, Hansa Rostock, etc. You know, they're, they're, they're locked in divisions. They shouldn't be. They all should be in the top flight, but unfortunately football doesn't work like that. A lot comes down to how these these teams are run, right? That's the the con argument to membership run clubs that it is sometimes very hard 
to bring in renewal because football fans that have a huge say in the operations of a club um, are by and large very conservative. And um, by no means am I suggesting that you should get rid of this model. I'm just saying that makes it very difficult for renewal. Hamburg is a, is a great example for that. I think Werder Bremen is another. And some of the teams that you've mentioned, uh, my club certainly 1860 is um, very heavily fan run and uh, although it's been quiet now for a few years, um, it is certainly a case where you can say, okay, well, this is this is a bad example of what membership-run clubs can do, um, as is Schalke. And it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see with those big clubs down there. I mean, I just saw the statistic when you look at the all-time Bundesliga ranking, Chris. Werder Bremen a third, HSV a fourth, and Schalke a seventh in the all-time Bundesliga table. Köln, and we're going to talk about them next because they, at last minute, rescued themselves into the relegation playoffs. They are ranked ninth in the all-time Bundesliga table. And you look at that, right? And you just say, okay, well, that's a lot of big clubs that we're going to be missing next year. And in some ways, we can be kind of glad maybe that Köln has another chance to stay in because when fans do come back, We've been to that stadium. It's a massive stadium, huge crowd, fantastic atmosphere. You know, we can't just have this sounds this sounds awful, but we can't just have the Fürths and the Holstein Kiels in this league. We also need some of these big clubs back in the Bundesliga because they are the lifeblood and the history of this league in many ways. Yeah, FC. I think they were very lucky. Um, to get out. Obviously, they left it exceptionally late to beat a Schalke that pretty much everyone's pumped, um, bar two teams. Um, they have been woeful. Um, they didn't want to go down the, on their own, did they? They sent Ralph Farman up for, to try and get an equaliser in, in added time in a game that they didn't need any points for. So I think Schalke desperately wanted to drag another big side down with them. But yeah, FC have, have had a terrible season. And I think that game, if people watched it, maybe watched Kern for the first time, um, it epitomized their season. Loads of chances, really couldn't score a goal. Had one taken off for uh, for, for the right call. And VAR called back for a foul on um, Sane in the defensive wall. Um, so yeah, it was it was a right decision, but they huffed and they puffed and they, you know, tried to blow that wall down and, and it and it didn't come. And that is been the whole level of their season if you take out that um, tremendous game against Augsburg the other week they're lucky to score one or two goals um, every single match day I think you've got to go all the way back to when they beat Armenia Bielefeld at the start of the year 3-1 and then outside of that I don't think they scored three goals and that's just two games Um, when you're trying to get yourself out of relegation form you need to be picking up scrappy 1-0 wins they did that today it was the biggest result um, I think they've had all season. Um, it, it came at just the right time. Of course, they beat Leipzig and Augsburg as well. Um, got themselves a draw against Hertha. So they have pulled themselves back into contention. But I don't see anything at FC that will make me think they won't be fighting relegation again next season. Um, I think they're way, way off that team that we saw qualify for the Europa League the other season. And indeed, that team that went and played in the Europa League, I think, remember that opening game against Arsenal, um, even though they got beat, I think they started tremendously well and they showed what a good side they were. Um, I think that FC side is consigned to memory at the moment. Yeah, and when you look at 
the teams that we're going to talk about the Bundesliga two matches later on in the show. Um, Bryce and I are going to break it all down. But when you look at the teams that are going to come up, um, they on paper seem like smaller clubs, right? But look at Arminia Bielefeld this year. They stayed up, straight up. No one, no one expected them to to finish outside of the relegation zone. But not only did they stay outside of the relegation zone, they didn't. They don't even need the relegation playoffs. So I think, by and large, you shouldn't underestimate. If you were a big club like Köln, you shouldn't underestimate some of these teams that are coming up, and hope that okay, if you survive relegation playoffs, uh, fine, that's cool. But it might not be enough until you do something really put something really well together for next season. Otherwise, you're just going to be in the same situation again. Look at Werder Bremen. I mean, this has been coming for years now. Schalke, it's been coming for years. Hamburg, before they went down, came. it was coming for years. And um, sometimes the writing is just on the wall. And I think with Köln, if they don't turn something and do something special, the writing will be on the wall. But Chris, before we wrap up this segment, um, it's been a long year. We haven't been going to games. It's made it a lot harder on this podcast nonetheless we we managed to do this every week with you sometimes without you sometimes with guests um looking back what has been the thing that stood out the most to you and what are you looking forward to the most next year oh yeah great question so i think the the thing that stood out for me this season was um i'm going to say dortmund i think everybody knows that i've got um, a lot of love in my heart for borussia dortmund uh I was convinced, Manu, that they were out of the running for the Champions League when they were beaten by Eintracht Frankfurt not that long ago. Um, to turn it around under Edin Terzic, to go and win the Pokal, um, to get themselves in the Champions League, to firmly stop all the rumours about Erling Haaland leaving and to finish um, in third after it looked at one point that they may not even scrape in to this new Europa Conference League, uh, sorry, the new UEFA Conference League. That, that's been the turnaround of the season for me. Um, but then also, uh, both Svensson's Mainz have been incredible. I don't know how they, well, I do know how because I've watched them play football, but I don't know how they finished 12th because when he came into that club, I think they were locked on exactly the same um, points and the same um, stats as Schalke and those two have had a completely different season um, and what I'm looking forward to most next season hopefully being back in Germany being back in the grounds um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that I'm looking forward to catching up with you in person not just over um, internet voice protocol it'd be nice to see you face to face hopefully in Berlin and and yeah that's what I'm most looking forward to Um but Manu, what I wanted to say before I finish here particularly is um, Manuel Griefer, top, top, top referee, one of the best in Europe, unfortunately forced to retire due to age at 47. I think it's wrong. I think he's probably got four to five, maybe even six years left in his legs. Um, I think it's an archaic rule. Um, I would love to see him carry on. Um, you know, the Premier League does a lot of things badly. Um, it also does a lot of things well. And if you're fit enough, you're good enough to referee. And I think that should happen. Um, I don't know if it'll get turned around. It's probably too late now. But unfortunately, the DFB have seen themselves off from a tremendous referee. I can only echo that. Manuel Grefe, um, another one that has has been you know, part of, of my Bundesliga experience for many years. It's going to be sad seeing my namesake gone. 
Um, hopefully, as I said, I think there is still discussions about it. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully the DFB can can see the light and um, turn this decision around. But Chris, it's been an honor this season. I mean, we're not quite done yet. We still have the relegation playoffs. We're, of course, going to uncover that as well. But it's been an honor to do this this, this year, uh, as it has been every year. And I can't believe we reached a 200 milestone. So that's fantastic. And great having you on here. And we'll talk soon. Martinez. Sané with the shot. It's going to fall oh, for Lewandowski. Yes. And finally, he does it. Yeah. The record they said would never be broken is now his and his alone. 41 goals in a single Bundesliga season. Robert Lewandowski writes yet another chapter in the history books. Yep, that was it. quite the day. And yeah, Lewandowski doing it right at the last moment, eh? So let's get into Zwei Bundesliga and talk now that we're recording on Sunday evening. Uh, Manu, again, another day full of action. Yeah, it was another day full of action. And you know what? Just want to say, I really enjoyed catching up with Chris about all, all, everything that happened yesterday. And I thought, okay, well, can't be as traumatic as that today, can it? And um Despite the Bundesliga never never ceases to amaze, right, Fries? I mean, it's just so full of drama. And the fact that you can't have anyone defending the title because, well, the, the team that wins it goes up to the Bundesliga. And the amount of large teams that you have now in this league is going to be even more next year because of everything that happened on Saturday, right? Uh, it, it just makes it such an intriguing competition. And... Because of you know what we do, we don't quite to spend as much time on the league as as we would like to. But we usually do do it on the final day of the season, like we do today. And boy, Bryce, um, there's going to be some people. I think well, we we kind of knew what the top three was going to be like, right? But we didn't know who was going to finish third who's going to finish first and who's going to finish second. And you get a Meisterschale for, for finishing first. So uh, that went to Bochum. And um, second was between Fürth and Kiel. And it was like a long distance fight, wasn't it? And I know there's going to be, I know I have friends in the office at Transfermarkt who support Holstein Kiel. It's Germany's most northern club. Uh, Schleswig-Holstein is uh, a, a province that never had a Bundesliga side either. And, I think they might be a little gutted to be in the playoffs. It's It seems like after everything they've been through as a club and this long season that they had, it, it must be a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, As you said, there was we knew what the top three were going to be, but uh, in what order, we weren't too sure. And yeah, Kiel will feel very disappointed. I mean, they've looked strong this season, haven't they? You know, they've definitely been one of the sides that, you know, um, have stood out, not, not just in the in this five Bundesliga, but even in their cup run as well. You know, in the Pokal, they were fantastic. And it, it, it set it up, obviously, for the promotion relegation game against uh, Köln, which is never fun for any of the fans involved. But uh, it's, it's going to be a very hard task for them, isn't it? And, and today they, they were in a, a great position uh, and actually Firth were a man down. They were a goal down. And, and you thought, this is in Kiel's hands. It, it's going to come off like this. And it, it, it wasn't to be Firth making a, you know, a fantastic comeback. It was very entertaining for, for us neutrals. But 
uh, and probably for the Firth fans, but for the Keogh fans, this this is a hard one to take. And obviously, I've got my allegiance to FC, and I hope that they um, stay in the Bundesliga. But um, and, and and the records would show over the years that the Bundesliga side normally come out on top on this. There'll be a tough task for FC, but you would say that they're probably favourites and they're probably you know, quite happy to be going into this game favourites, you know. Um, Manu, can you see it going any other way? I mean, can they replicate uh, Kiel, that is, you know, the, the possible Pokal uh, victories that they got over the, the Bundesliga side? It used to be in some ways that the, the team coming up, right, um, the team that finished third in the second Bundesliga for a while it seemed like they were almost favored because I guess they had they just on the back of a good season they um, they have this wave of success that carried them to this place and the momentum is on their side but in the recent years it has been the Bundesliga team that retained their position right, right rather than the Bundesliga 2 team actually coming up and I think that's because a lot of times the teams now in the, in the Bundesliga, they fight to get to the spot because of the, the tough situation that they're in. And if you Köln and you got that last minute goal that kept you in that spot, and then you're going to have a little bit of an emotional upswing. Whereas Kiel, this, we really we plan to do the, the, the relegation preview a little bit later in this part, but I guess we might as well do it now, right? And talk about the promoted sites afterwards. But I think that Kiel, the position that they were in, where many thought they're going to go straight up to the Bundesliga after a really good season that they played, that had a lot of emotional ups and downs, the, the cup victory over Bayern Munich, right? The fact that they were in quarantine and many thought, okay, because they're going into quarantine and they're going to have such a tough schedule that will favor Hamburger as far and that they will breeze past them. But then Kiel came back and raced into this position and to just see it all evaporate in front of your eyes on the last match day and having to now do this extra tour it's emotionally very taxing. And I, I think that when you look when you look at everything that's happened, uh, I in my opinion, Köln is going to be favorites. That said, and you might not want to like to hear that, Bryce. Um without Kiel in the Bundesliga, the most northern club next year will be Wolfsburg. Bremen gone, Hamburg gone. The North is very empty at the moment, and maybe, maybe it'd be nice to have Kiel to have at least one Northern club represented in the first flight. Yeah, well, if I'm being honest, you, know, I kind of was looking forward to Kiel being in the Bundesliga, not not just this year, but in previous years as well. Um, you know, they 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 have a team that haven't had a lot of success over the years. You, Manny, we mentioned that, you know, that they have been title holders, but not for something like a hundred years um, back. Um, so I, I think it would be um, a, it would be good for the Bundesliga and it'd be great for them and that part of Germany. But yeah, they're, they're really going to be up against this. The, the games are going to be played on Wednesday and then Saturday. Um, I, I think, as you said, you know, they're going to be a, a little crestfallen and to have to pull themselves back up, you know, to, to get that confidence to go into those games is going to be quite tricky, isn't it? Kuhn, uh, on the other hand, if they had lost their final game, or maybe even drew it um, and then went into this position, then you would say maybe they would be struggling and doubting themselves. But the fact that they managed to get that rather late winner 
you know, will give them hope that even 70 minutes into a game against them, you know, they'll, they'll have that belief that they can go on and they can still get the victory. You know, they're, they're on a bit of an upward trajectory just based on that one game rather than it being the other way. So you'd have to say that, yeah, it's, it's quite possibly in their favour. That's without even just saying that they're the Bundesliga side, you know, against the uh, second tier. But uh, many, I feel that, you know, we, we've we've talked about that and you, many listeners will say, yep, yeah, but hold on a minute, they finished third. Let, let's talk about the teams that were first and second. Um, you said that you were looking forward to Kiel being in the Bundesliga potentially, and then that still could happen. But what about Bochum? Are you happy to have them back? They haven't been in the Bundesliga since 2010. We talked about that before the show, right? Because I've been growing up in Germany and um, supporting the Bundesliga my entire life or watching the Bundesliga my entire life and following closely my entire life. I, I couldn't believe that it's been that long. And then I realized, well, I guess um, Bochum hadn't been in this league since we started the podcast. And this is how long they not have been in this league. And it's a quite a big traditional club. Uh, in German football, I mean, yeah, not won many titles, but um, some wonderful stories. I remember when Peter Neurohrer took them into the UEFA Cup, um, playing some fantastic football. Um, the the stadion um, is one actually that's on my list. The a place that I will still really want to go to. Um, you know, smaller ground, but uh, you know, with a lot of tradition and. Um, we both friends with Derek Ray and he loves to go there and uh, visit Bochum and watch games there. And yeah, the, the Ruhrstadion is, is certainly mm-hmm. on my list of places that I still want to see. And, you know, the and a lot of people will not remember this, but in the 70s, uh, it was Schalke and Bochum was the was the bigger Ruhr derby than Schalke and, and Dortmund in some ways because the, the, the two tower clubs did better than Dortmund at the time. And you kind of forget this 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 background information. So a lot of people will say Bochum Wu, but you know, this is a team that for for about two decades was a constant in the Bundesliga. And I have a wonderful word for you to say today, Bryce. And uh, I wonder if I I've written it down in the document and I'm just gonna you have to try first to say it and then maybe we'll explain it after. Okay, so anyone listening, I'm I'm looking at this document now. Let's let's see where where is this word? I, I know I'm I'm gonna be, oh here we go here we go. I mean, you know how this is gonna go, don't you? Unabsteigbaren. That's pretty good. Die unabsteigbaren. Well, I'll 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 take pretty good. So so what does this mean? Unrelegatable ones. So. Uh, a team that cannot be rele- relegated. And it's because for so many years and um, leading all the way into the 90s, when they then, of course, got relegated five times and coined another term, Fahrstuhlmannschaft, a team that goes up and down. Um, they were always on the brink of being relegated, but always just avoided it, right? So they became known as the team that can't get relegated. Um, don't think it's a term that fits them anymore quite right because of them being gone for so long they they became i think a pun was actually made a few years ago that they said like they've gone from the unabsteigbaren to the unaufsteigbaren so the the team that cannot get promoted um i'm glad they got that monkey off their back wonderful wonderful to have them back and i'm looking forward to have them back bryce because i haven't been to that stadium yet and i haven't seen them in the bundesliga in a while and it brings back memories of the 90s when when they were in this league and, you know, players like Darius Wasch that um, 
was a wonderful player for them for for many years and number 10 typical number 10 who also played for for germany's national team and yeah i i think um a lot of us that have sort of the nostalgic looking back to the bundesliga will look at them and say yeah it's nice that they're back the same in the same way than with bielefeld being back in the bundesliga last year and you know i said it earlier in the show when i spoke to chris don't make don't think that this team is going to go straight back down we all thought that about bielefeld last year the little teams are not necessarily the ones that are going to go straight down. There's enough big teams in the Bundesliga that are more than capable of being relegated. And um, so I wouldn't really put all my money on them going back down straight away. Yeah, that's it. You never know. But congratulations once again to uh, Bochum, their coach, Thomas Rice, and their fans as well. You know, enjoy it. Um, but then I suppose let, let's talk about second place. Automatic uh, promotion goes to Firth. Um, Manu, what can you tell us uh, about them? Uh, you know, not not just their badge has stands out. It it always looks, uh, it always grabs the eye for me. You know, with that uh, that clover leaf. You know, but uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, what do we know about Firth, and do you feel that they're going to be a good addition to the Bundesliga? So, an interesting club, uh, SPVGG Kreuter Firth. Um, used to be just Fürth and Ferstenberg-Skreut is the other team. So Ferstenberg-Skreut and Fürth, they merged a few years ago, uh, a few years ago, 30 years ago. And uh, I think Kreuter Fürth is slowly going towards being just Fürth again. Um, but Ferstenberg-Skreut, their biggest moment was in 94, 95, when they eliminated Bayern Munich in the first round of the DFB Pokal, a small village. And I think they just brought the financial backing at the time, which is why they then merged with Fürth and Fürth, SPVGG Fürth, Spielvereinigung Fürth. I know I'm using a lot of German terms today, Bryce. Um, they have quite a big history, actually. In German football very much had the heartbeat of German football in the 1920s and 1930s. And I mean, this is, again, another thing that people don't know, was very much in Franconia, which is a part of Bavaria, you know, an hour and a half uh, north of of Munich, uh, my home. And uh, Nuremberg Fürth, that was the two powerhouses of German football in the 20s and 30s. Nuremberg have have won eight Bundesliga titles, uh, not, sorry, Bundesliga titles, German championships, because the Bundesliga wasn't around till 63. And a lot of people, people forget that that's the case. And Fürth um, is one of those big traditional places in German football that have kind of fallen off the wayside because of, of things that happen, the commercialization of football, of course, and just the way certain powerhouses were established in German football. And of course, the the the, the power center in Bavaria shifted to Munich, right? And where 1816 Bayern, um, and even though 1860 is still in, 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 the, in the third division, Got to talk about that in a moment. I think they're still very much the second biggest club in German and Bavarian football, right? So Fürth, yeah, a big traditional club, very famous fan. I I know we have a lot of American listeners, and um, they will probably be interested to know that Henry Kissinger is actually a huge Kreuter Fürth fan. Um, Regularly tunes in. He's a member of the club. Um, Of course, he fled Germany um, during the Nazi times and lived in the United States ever since, has had various roles in the United States government and, yeah, is, is an honorable member of, of Fürth. So, uh, big fan, big fan of the club and I guess he'll be excited. I wonder if we're going to see him next year in 
in Franconia to see his team cheer on in the Bundesliga. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see with them too, because um, they are a very small club, a very small club with a very small stadium. And they do a lot of things very right. And they have very good youth development. We, we talked about some of the players before the podcast, right, with Timothy Tillman, who, who holds U.S. citizenship, is eligible to play for the United States. They got Julian Green, who a lot of people, I think, in the United States are going to be very excited about seeing him uh, play in the Bundesliga because he's, he's he's one of those players who are very gifted but just never really had the right platform to play in, in the first flight. And I think it, that this club is going to offer him that. And, you know, I'm excited to, when I'm able to go back home now that I had my first vaccination and um, I'm going to be getting my second shot at some point in the summer and will be able to travel again. I'm actually excited to have now with Munich, Augsburg and Fürth three very easily reachable Bundesliga destinations for me, Bryce. So that's fun. Uh, yeah, it, I, I suppose you know, there, there's a benefit to the teams being uh, close together, right? So you can squeeze more in when you're home. But um, yeah, I, I think that more or less does it for the uh, podcast today. We, we will be back um, and covering the promotion uh, relegation playoffs, not just of the Bundesliga. We'll touch on Zwei Bundesliga as well, which will be played the days after, so Thursday and Sunday. Um, so, yeah, there's still there's still more drama to be had. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I don't know if I'm quite ready, you know, after this uh, match day to uh, to go through 180 minutes with this with uh, Kuhn. But, uh, hey... It is what it is, and it's better than being automatically down. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, on behalf of Chris, uh, Manu, and myself, I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. And until then, of Vida Zen. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.